DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with Ignatius Press, presents The Great Works in Western Literature with Joseph Pierce. Joseph Pierce is the writer-in-residence and visiting fellow at Thomas More College in New Hampshire. He's the author of The Quest for Shakespeare and Through Shakespeare's Eyes. His other books include literary biographies of Oscar Wilde, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He is the co-editor of the St. Austin Review, a premier international journal of Catholic culture, literature, and ideas. He is the editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions, on which this series is based. The Great Works in Western Literature with Joseph Pierce. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Confessions of St. Augustine is considered one of the greatest Christian classics of all time. It is an extended, poetic, passionate, intimate prayer that Augustine wrote as an autobiography sometime after his conversion to confess his sins and proclaim God's goodness. Just as his first hearers were captivated by his powerful conversion story, so also have many millions been over the following 16 centuries. His experience of God speaks to us across time with little need of transpositions. We now begin our discussion on St. Augustine of Hippo and the Confessions. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's good as always, Chris. Is this possibly the oldest book in the Ignatius Critical Editions? Actually, it is, yes. I think we have 24. Four books in the Ignatius Critical Editions in total, and uh, they're actually arranged on my shelf in chronological order. And Augustine is first because it is indeed the oldest, and and then we have Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius, which was shortly shortly afterwards. Um, uh, but yes, it is the oldest, dating back to the early fourth century. And it probably is it not the only true autobiography. It was, uh, I think, the first. In other words, it established a genre. Um, so the first ever autobiography, I think I'm correct in saying that. It's certainly, I think, and few would argue that it's, that it's not the best. It's the best uh, autobiography ever written, one of the finest works of literature ever written, one of the finest works of philosophy ever written, one of the finest works of theology ever written, one of the finest confessions <laughs> ever written. <laughs> so, you know, all of those, all of those uh, aspects and dimensions and facets all present in one solitary work of literature. It is, in every sense of the word, one of the great achievements of Western civilization. A man who had such an extraordinary life. It's said that this was probably written at the beginning of his life as a bishop of Hippo. Yeah, probably within a two or three years of, of becoming bishop, he, he wrote it, and probably partly in response to to, should we say, a pharisaical or puritanical element amongst, uh, amongst the faithful who wondered why this miserable sinner mm. had become a bishop, had been made a bishop, because uh, obviously he had a, uh, a notorious life as a sinner before he became eventually, of course, a saint. Mm. Now, he, he's had several other works, uh, namely the, the one that I recall right off the top of my head is The City of God, and yet the Confessions was something that wasn't as popular among readers and maybe had a resurgence in the last, what would you say, 100, 150 years? Yeah, rediscovered, uh, you know, I think in uh, in Victorian times when there was a, uh, very much a rediscovery of uh, of these great classical works of literature anyway, and also a, a renewed interest in the early church, 
largely as in a consequence of the works of, of Newman and the Oxford movement and what would eventually become the Catholic revival. There was a, there was a rediscovery of uh, Augustine's work and the Confessions in particular and, 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 and an appreciation and appraisal of it as, as one of the great works. It's an incredible work that really has as its other key character, uh, besides St. Augustine, of course, that character is God. And it's the, really the story of their relationship. Yeah, in fact, in many ways, you can say that uh, the confessions are an extension in the sense that they're not simply Augustine's relationship with God, but also, by extension, our relationship with God. In, in mm-hmm. other words, in some ways, uh, Augustine can be, seen as, can be seen as an everyman figure, or at least we say the character of Augustine in the confessions can be seen as an everyman figure, as someone who's searching for truth, who's trying to endeavor to, to, to find truth as a quest throughout his life, but is thwarted by his own pride, by his own sin, by his own misconceptions, by his own arrogance. Um, but nonetheless, eventually, through the grace of God and through the use of reason, comes to an understanding of Christian orthodoxy. And then, of course, from being one of the most notorious sinners of his age, becomes one of the greatest saints in the history of the church. It begins right off the bat with that beautiful prayers. I mean, he's just always bringing God into the moment of even into the depths of his reflections on his life. Yeah, one, one gets the distinct impression that that book, although it's, a, if you like, a witness, a narrative, a memoir, a work that's meant to, to explain St. Augustine's conversion both to St. Augustine himself and to his readers, but one also gets the distinct impression it's a dialogue with God himself and in the knowledge that it's God and the, and, and the Holy Spirit of God that has inspired and led St. Augustine along the way, that has forgiven St. Augustine his sins, that has mercifully remained with St. Augustine in spite of his, his sinful past and how through the grace given by God and through the gift of reason also given by God, that the human soul, the human spirit, the human mind, the human heart comes to a full realization of the truth, which is God himself. I mean, St. Augustine says towards the end of, of Confessions that, that the only way of coming to the truth is to see reality, to see truth itself as a gift. In other words, something which is given. And therefore, the only correct way and the only way of actually coming to truth is with a spirit of humility and gratitude. And without that, without that spirit of humility and gratitude, our own pride, our own ingratitude will blind us to the truth. It was only after reading the Confessions, for me anyway, Joseph, several years ago, that after I read it, I really could enter into the letter to the Romans by St. Paul because, I mean, I have read it before, and it's very... It's very beautiful, but it's very, can I say thick? I don't mean to be sacrilegious, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's a very heavy letter to have to, to go through and to understand. But when you read the Confessions by St. Augustine, all of a sudden it becomes much clearer. Yeah, I think one of the things about St. Augustine's Confessions, which is in some way, well, I've got to say astonishing, but really the more we understand history, it's not necessarily all that astonishing, but is how much really so little has changed in the church and in the world since St. Augustine's time. I mean, we're talking about now something which is, what, 1,600 years ago. Um, so a long, long while ago, 1,600 years ago. And yet, you know, so much is, is, the, is, is the same. You know, it's still basically that the, the, the battle is between the Heidegger Geist 
and the zeitgeist between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the age, and nothing much has changed. Then you look at, you know, St. Augustine is dealing in confessions and indeed in his life as a bishop with heresies that are not that different from the heresies that beset us. I mean, Manichaeism is a dualism, uh, a belief that there's not uh, uh, one God presiding, but, uh, but the, the good and the evil are, are equal forces, and that Manichaeism, which is life-denying, can almost be seen as, as if you like, as a, as, a, as a sort of Calvinism, and therefore, if you like, representative of one aspect of the modern psyche which we, which we live. He was also dealing with Pelagianism, which is basically the 4th century, the 5th century equivalent of cafeteria Catholicism, mm-hmm. you know, that we, we don't have to believe in original sin, we can save ourselves as long as we're good, we have it within our own power to save our own souls, we don't need the church, we don't need the sacraments, so we have this cafeteria Catholicism, and then you have the, either donut, the donatism, which is also, he was uh, arguing against uh, as a heresy, and they were if you like, the ultra-conservatives who were holier than now and a bit like today's Sedevacantists and ultra-traditionalists. So, you know, St. Augustine, if you like, was, was treading the path of, of orthodoxy, which is very, very similar to the path of orthodoxy, which the present-day church and, and, and present-day popes uh, and present-day orthodox theologians are dealing with and the, and the same errors. So, it's, you know, it's more things change than what they remain the same. So in that sense, when we read St. Augustine's Confessions, you know, we're not reading something which is of... Uh, purely historical interest. We're reading of something which speaks very much to our own lives as Christians, our own relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, but also our own relationship with the, the, the age in which we live, because the age in which we live is not all that different from the age in which Augustine lived. It is such a, a beautiful work. I mean, the, the writings of St. Augustine, it, it's, uh, it's almost like a psalm, a very big psalm, but a, a big, beautiful prayer. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he, he has everything. I say he's one of the giants. You know, he's one of the greatest theologians. He's one of the greatest philosophers. But he's also one of the greatest writers. He has a great prose style. Um, and, you know, one wonders you know, how much more beautiful it is in the original. Because, what, of course, what we're appreciating is the translation. Mm-hmm. And however good the translation is, and the translation of Ignatius' critical editions is actually, we, we chose that one and paid for that one because uh, we, the uh, Augustinian scholar, Father McConey, who edited that volume, insisted it was the best translation. But even so, you know, as, as T.S. Eliot says, between the uh, potency and the existence falls the shadow. In other words, between the potential and the existence, power and the, and the existence falls the shadow. And that's certainly true of every translation. However good the translation is, a shadow falls from the original language to the translation. And that being so, the fact that it's so beautiful in translation makes us just wonder if we were only better classical scholars how much more beautiful it was in the original. It was so wonderful to have the assistance of the Ignatius Critical Editions to be able to look at the criticisms, the critiquing of it, and then going back and then reading it again. In one particular essays, they spoke of how there seems to be two predominant themes per se that Augustine was using the element of the prodigal son story, but then an even deeper one of how his conversion went from the exterior into the interior. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, the work, you know, it, it, the prodigal son story plays itself out, if you like, in the first two-thirds of the, of the confessions where we have the narrative. It's still, nonetheless, at the same time, a dialogue with God, but nonetheless, the narrative of his own life from his childhood in book one, you know, through his adolescence and then his early, early adulthood and 
his life as a teacher and his experience at St. Amb- Ambrose. Of course, his loving mother and her mm-hmm. sanctity as a, as, a, as a holy backdrop to his life. So you, have, you, so you have that, that aspect of the prodigal son, one who wanders away and eventually returns home, as it were. And then, of course, it, the whole thing deepens in the last four or so books of, uh, uh, of the Confessions, in which he becomes um, uh, a really profound meditation on Scripture, uh, upon, the, uh, upon Genesis in particular, but on the extent to which uh, words are, are signs of something uh, spiritual. In other words, that, the, that the, the physical manifestation is only, if you like, something which leads us deeper into the interior spiritual uh, aspects of, uh, of reality. Confessions by St. Augustine Chapter 11 And now thou didst stretch forth thy hand from above, and didst draw up my soul out of that profound darkness, because my mother, thy faithful one, wept to thee on my behalf more than mothers are accustomed to weep for the bodily deaths of their children. For by the light of faith and spirit which she received from thee, she saw that I was dead, And thou didst hear her, O Lord, thou didst hear her, and despise not her tears, when pouring down they watered the earth under her eyes in every place where she prayed. Thou didst truly hear her. For what other source was there for that dream by which thou didst console her, so that she permitted me to live with her, to have my meals in the same house, at the same table, which she had begun to avoid, even while she hated and detested the blasphemies of my error? In her dream she saw herself standing on a sort of wooden rule, and saw a bright youth approaching her, joyous and smiling at her, while she was grieving and bowed down with sorrow. But when he inquired of her the cause of her sorrow and daily weeping, not to learn from her but to teach her as is customary in visions, and when she answered that it was my soul's doom she was lamenting, he bade her rest content and told her to look and see that where she was there, I was also. And when she looked, she saw me standing near her on the same rule. Whence came this vision, unless it was thy ears were inclined toward her heart? O thou omnipotent good, thou carest for every one of us as thou didst care for him only, and so for all as if they were but one. And what was the reason for this also, that when she told me of this vision, I tried to put this construction on it, that she would not despair of being some day what I was? She replied immediately, without hesitation, no, for it was not told me that where he is, there you shall be, but where you are, there he will be. I confess my remembrance of this to thee, O Lord, as far as I can recall it, and I have often mentioned it. Thy answer, given through my watchful mother, in the fact that she was not disturbed by the plausibility of my false interpretation, but saw immediately what should have been seen, and which I certainly had not seen until she spoke, this answer moved me more deeply than the dream itself. Still, by that dream, the joy that was to come to that pious woman so long after was predicted long before as a consolation for her present anguish. Nearly nine years passed in which I wallowed in the mud of that deep pit and in the darkness of falsehood, 
striving often to rise, but being all the more heavily dashed down. But all that time this chaste, pious, and sober widow, such as thou dost love, was now more buoyed up with hope, though no less zealous in her weeping and mourning, and she did not cease to bewail my case before thee in all the hours of her supplication. Her prayers entered thy presence, and yet thou didst allow me still to tumble and toss around in that darkness. Chapter 12 Meanwhile, thou gavest her yet another answer, as I remember, for I pass over many things, hastening on to those things which more strongly impel me to confess thee, and many things I have simply forgotten. But thou gavest her then another answer, by a priest of thine, a certain bishop reared in thy church and well versed in thy books. When that woman begged him to agree to have some discussion with me, to refute my errors, to help me to unlearn evil and to learn the good, for it was his habit to do this when he found people ready to receive it, he refused, very prudently, as I afterward realized. For he answered that I was still unteachable, being inflated with the novelty of that heresy, and that I had already perplexed diverse inexperienced persons with vexatious questions, as she herself had told him. But let him alone for a time, he said, only pray God for him. He will, of his own accord by reading, come to discover what an error it is, and how great its impiety is. He went on to tell her at the same time how he himself, as a boy, had been given over to the Manichaeans by his misguided mother, and not only had read but had even copied out almost all their books. Yet he had come to see, without external argument or proof from anyone else, how much that sect was to be shunned, and had shunned it. When he had said this, she was not satisfied but repeated more earnestly her entreaties, and shed copious tears, still beseeching him to see and talk with me. Finally the bishop, a little vexed at her importunity, exclaimed, Go your way! As you live, it cannot be that the son of these tears should perish. As she often told me afterward, she accepted this answer as though it were a voice from heaven. His relationship with St. Ambrose comes through so beautifully and the influence of someone who would take time to listen but also to instruct. It, that, that relationship, I think, is quite beautifully portrayed in, in the Confessions. Yeah, I think that one thing we see uh, in, in the Confessions is the importance of reason, obviously, but also the, the importance of, of love. The, the, as manifested in holiness, we have the two great saints uh, in the backdrop of the story, in the background, if you like, who are nonetheless a very, very powerful presence. On the one hand, we have St. Monica, uh, St. Augustine's mother, this holy woman who pray for her son in spite of his sinful life, in spite of the fact he seems to be wandering further and further from the church. And eventually, of course, shortly before her death, she has the the wonderful gift of, of seeing her son enter the church. And then the other great saintly figure, the figure of love, the figure of holiness, is St. Ambrose, who in his character, if you like, incarnates the inextricable bond between faith and reason, uh, and actually, as important, between love and reason. Because he, he can argue with St. Augustine, who still has these Manichaean tendencies, 
about the truths of the faith, arguing from philosophy and arguing from theology, and yet he actually uh, is first and foremost someone who loves St. Augustine, who's in love with Jesus, who's in love with the church, who's in love with truth, and who's in love with the prodigal son, St. Augustine. And it's this, if you like, combination of faith, reason, and love, this holy trinity, if you like, of, of, of virtues that, uh, that, that is, uh, if ultimately uh, wins St. Augustine's mind and heart to God. It's a book that really would be wonderful for a reading group to get into, especially those that are gathering together for you know, seeking spiritual insight, rather than just sitting on the shelf somewhere collecting dust. I mean, it really is truly relevant for today, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, for reading groups that are, that are serious about their faith and serious about growing in their faith, to get together uh, and read together St. Augustine's Confessions from the beginning, maybe one book at a time, and then discussing over a period of 13 weeks, so not, it's nice as well, that's uh, three months, that you will find yourself growing in an understanding of the faith, growing in an understanding of virtue, growing in wisdom. Because, as I said, St. Augustine uh, is, is, is a giant. And if we approach his giant presence in a spirit of humility and, and reverence, then we will grow in the direction of his stature. We may never be as big as St. Augustine, but will we grow bigger <laughs> because of the example that he, that he sets us? And it, it really is, should we say, a rigorous and a vigorous Christianity. And so a serious reading group that doesn't want just light relief, but actually wants to get to grips and grapple with the depths of faith, particularly in the spirit of, uh, of, of secularism and doubt, which is very, very relevant to our day. As I said, that, the, that, that many of the heresies that St. Augustine is battling are very similar to the heresies that the church is battling today. It's incredibly relevant, uh, and he's one of the greatest minds, and I can't think of many better places to start if we have a serious Catholic reading group. Yeah, and that not only just the mind, but the heart, that restless heart that could only find peace with God. I mean, who doesn't experience that today? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, that's why Augustine, in some senses, in the Confessions, is not just himself, but he's us also. He's, um, he's an everyman figure. Now, I'm reminded of the words of... Uh, of, of Tolkien, when Tolkien said that the fairy stories hold up a mirror to humanity, which is why works like Lord of the Rings uh, and characters such as Bilbo and Frodo show us ourselves because they are a mirror of ourselves. Well, in the, in the Confessions by Augustine, and St. Augustine himself, in some ways, is a mirror of ourselves. So, you know, he is an everyman figure. So his journey is our journey. We are all, to one degree or another, prodigal sons. We have all... Uh, offended uh, Christ. We have all wandered away at times. We have all, through our own defiance, think we know better than our Father, but better than better than tradition, and we want to do our own thing. And we have all, to one degree or another, should we say, squandered our lives and end up lying down with the pigs. So you know, there's there's a sense in which uh, Saint Augustine's sinful life, but genuine love for truth, is a reflection of of our own sinful lives and please God and hopefully our own desire for truth. I'm so glad you mentioned earlier the the great woman who is one of the stars in the cloud of witnesses. And I've had that great blessing of being able to pray before her crypt in Rome. Yeah, uh, of course, the, the, the beautiful, wonderful, faithful Saint Monica. Yeah. I mean, I, I say I, I stumbled across the, the 
the church that that her tomb is in by by accident. One of the one one of the wonderful things about Rome, of course, is mm-hmm. you can wander into any back street church and find either uh, the relics of uh, of a great saint or else a great masterpiece by Caravaggio or something mm-hmm. or both. And I think actually in that church there's both, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I remember praying. I, I, you know, in fact, now when I go back to Rome, I, I, I try to return uh, every time to the tomb of, of St. Monica. She's a very special saint. I mean, again, many, many parents have children that have wandered away. And she's a patron saint in many ways for, should we say, Catholic parents who lament the, uh, the, the straying away of their children and, and, and prayed to her for the same miracle to happen to their children as happened to hers. I mean, a few people were further from Christ uh, in the height of his arrogance than St. Augustine was, and few people were more intelligent than St. Augustine. So he had intellectual pride. He also had all sorts of good, but as he thought, solid arguments against the church. And yet through faith, through reason, and through the loving example of his mother, that itself was a great witness that helped bring this soul, this prodigal son, this wandering child, back to God. I, I dare someone not to get a tear in, your, in their eye when you read the account of their last meeting together. Praise God for th- this tremendous gift that we have in the confessions that is able to touch our hearts almost, almost 2,000 years later. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and we'll continue. I mean, the, the only way that someone cannot be moved by St. Augustine's confessions is if they've golemized themselves or they become so addicted to their sin that they no longer desire the truth, they no longer desire love, they no longer desire God. I mean, it's it, again, it, as, as, uh, as, as Oscar Wilde said, we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. So the tragedy is that some of us aren't, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it is possible for us to be in the gutter and prefer to be face down wallowing in it rather than looking at the stars. But for anybody, however miserably sinful, however, if you like, spiritual, spiritually smelly because their life is in the gutter, if they're looking at the stars, can appreciate St. Augustine's confessions and can learn from St. Augustine's confessions and with the right spirit, the right heart and mind, the right humility in the approach can be lifted from the gut altogether. And that's the, the beauty of it. And as you say, 15, 1600 years after it was written is as relevant, as powerful, as moving as it, as it was when it was written. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts, Joseph? Well, I, I don't. One, you know, one really doesn't know where to start when talking about Saint Augustine's Confessions. One really, really doesn't know where to where to finish either. Um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, there's this wonderful engagement with theology at the end, with his talking about uh, words as as signs and reading as an understanding of signs. In other words, that that every fact is a symbol of something spiritual. I mean, it, it, this, uh, he, this would come to fruition, of course, in his work on Christian doctrine, which is another profound work of St. Augustine's. That, that I say, where does one start? Where does one end? But you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a joy and a, de- and a delight to at least spend 20, 25 minutes discussing this wonderful work with you. Mm. Well, until next time, Joseph, thank you so much. My pleasure as always. You've been listening to Great Works in Western Literature with Joseph Pierce. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. 
We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Great Works in Western Literature with Joseph Pierce.